0: Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Great, good. I'm going to squeeze right there. Am I okay right here? Cool. I want to thank Carl and Elijah and Gideon and Eliza and Gracie. They did a great job this morning. And let's give them another hand. I'm going to put this right here. Our fearless leader, Ryan, obviously is not here this morning. He and Megan are out of town. Casting Crowns is up for several awards for the K-Love Awards. And so uh, that's exciting to hear what will happen there. Uh, They will be back tomorrow. And uh, how many of you are going to be involved with VBS? All right, awesome, awesome. It's going to be a great week. I want to encourage you to get a lot of rest. It's going to be an awesome week to see what God will be doing. God's always at work, and uh, it's going to be an exciting time, and I'm looking forward to spending this week with you guys and ladies and all these young kids that will be here learning about the Lord. If I were to ask all of you in this room, uh, if you have ever heard the name Pat Tillman, more than likely, most of you would not except if you're my age. And Charles is raising his hand back there. Um, that he, anybody else, ever heard of the name Pat Tillman? Pat Tillman was was a young man who uh, played college football for Arizona State. He was drafted uh, by the Arizona Cardinals in 1998. He played about three years, four years. A professional football was making millions of dollars, but right after 9-11 happened, Pat Tillman was so moved with what had taken place here in our country um, that he left the NFL to join the Army. Pat Tillman decided to go in to the military to serve his country. He left a lifestyle that gave him millions of dollars to go into the Army where he was making about $18,000, if you can imagine that. Pat Tillman, the story about uh, Pat Tillman is so incredible that Sports Illustrated back in 2004, uh, the unfortunate thing about Pat Tillman is he died. Um, Sports Illustrated, I know a lot of you can't see this, but this is... I collect Sports Illustrated and I went back through my library yesterday and was looking and I found this as far as Sports Illustrated honored Pat Tillman back in 2004 for his sacrifice for his country and basically the title on the cover says an athlete dies a soldier. Pat Tillman was a man who When he played college football, and not only playing sports, but in his family, among his friends, and uh, as far as in the military, had a big impact in people's lives. And when Pat Tillman left NFL to go serve his country, he had an impact in people's lives, uh, being so inspiring to others to be willing to do something similar like that as they sacrificed their lives for their country and I think all of us would be able to if we were to go around the room we could talk about people that we've known that are alive or those who've died that have had big impacts in our country's history and in our lives and our families lives and uh, we could all probably go around and do that even we could talk about immediate family the impact that people have had in our lives and I think all of us would like to think that we could have an impact In people's lives and whether you realize it or not you do and as a Christian the Lord wants you to have an impact in people's lives unfortunately in our culture today one of the things that's happening is people not only in our culture but in our churches we're hearing hey you're gonna go change the world as a Christian God wants you to go change the world and the unfortunate thing is, is that we hear that message and we think we've got to go do big things for God. We've got to go save people, save their lives. We've got to go over to another country and transform that country. We've got to take our city and our state for God. And those are all great things and wonderful things to pray about and have a desire to be a part of. But one of the things I want to suggest to you this morning is the way God operates a lot of times he does use people for big, big things for his honor and glory. But I want to suggest to you this morning is God would like to use you as his, as his children to be able to have an impact right where you are, in your schools, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. And a lot of times God takes those who no one thinks about would do great things and he uses those people to do incredible things for His honor and glory. It's usually the person that you would least likely think about that a lot of times God uses. And this summer, we're going to be looking at, in the Old Testament, some people that you've, ever since you were little, have learned about. But maybe some some of those in the Old Testament you are not very familiar with. We're all familiar with David. We're all familiar with Jeremiah. We're all familiar with Abraham and Moses. But there are others in the Bible that we don't always hear about that had an impact that God used for his honor and glory. Now, I named my two boys after two guys from the Old Testament, Elijah. And then the other one is Gideon. A lot of people know about Elijah and what he did. Mount Carmel, with the prophets of Baal. But a lot of people might know a little bit about Gideon in the Bible. You might remember a little bit about him, but what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about Gideon and the impact that he had, but I also want to suggest to you as we look at a few things about Gideon, Gideon is not necessarily, and neither are others in the Bible, these perfect people. These people that the reason why God used them was because they had it all together. I would suggest to you that it's just the opposite when you look at scriptures and you look at these men and women. And there were a lot of women in the scripture that God used for his honor and glory. But we're going to be looking, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6 starting off. And I'm not going to read all of the scripture this morning in this chapter I'm going to jump around a little bit, but if you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're taking notes, that's great. But I want to give you a little bit of background about Gideon as far as the time that he was living, what was going on. This was during this time, and we're looking in Judges chapter 6. A little bit of the background. This is between the 11th and 12th century B.C. that this is taking place. And God's people had done what was evil in his sight. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, the people of Israel did what was evil on the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. God's people were involved in idolatry. And because of that, he allowed this group of people called the Midianites to oppress Israel. Now, the scripture goes on and talks about how the Midianites were numerous. They were, and the scripture compares them to like locusts. There were thousands upon thousands of these people, and they would camp around the Israelites. And as the Israelites would grow their crops and have their sheep and all this type stuff, the Midianites would just come and take whatever they wanted, steal it, consume it. And this went on for seven years. And the people of God cried out to him consistently. But for seven years, if you can imagine, you've worked hard hard. And someone comes along and steals from you constantly. And not only that, but the people of Israel were scared to death of the Midianites. They would hide in the mountains, in the caves, because of the Midianites. All of this was because God's people had disobeyed him and were worshiping other gods. And God eventually sends, he hears the cry of his people and he sends a prophet to tell the people, hey, you have disobeyed, I have delivered you over and over and over, but you have disobeyed me. And this is why this is taking place. This is kind of the background for this morning of this story with Gideon. Now, in this, as I've just shared, this was going on. Gideon is in a wine press, and it says in the scripture, starting in verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Gideon is in this winepress. Normally, when when you're doing the things you are doing with the wheat back then, they're outside, they're they're beating the wheat where the chaff can come up and blow away with the wind, and you have the wheat, you separate it that way. Gideon's hanging out in a winepress because he's fearful that the Midianites will see what he's doing and come steal what it is, the work that that he's doing. So he's in this wine press and he's working. And it says in verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Now I want to stop there for just a second. So Gideon's hard at work. An angel of the Lord appears to him, and check this out. It says, the, the angel of the Lord said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now I imagine if the Lord, angel of the Lord appeared to you today, and you're in your bedroom or you're outside cutting the grass, and, or maybe you're sitting down after you're working hard and the angel of the Lord comes to you and says something to you, I don't know many of you who would go, that's right, you got the right man, I am a mighty man of valor. I am the man. You got it, God. Most of us would be like, who are you talking to? Me? Be like, are you serious? We'd be looking around like, who's he talking to? We'd probably be scared to death more than anything. But he says this to Gideon, and Gideon starts off, and he, how does he respond? Not with thanks, not with out of worship, not out of any of it, but he starts complaining. He starts saying, things are bad. Where is God? He's not with us. Why has all this stuff happened? And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, when things are not going great, that's my attitude. Where's the Lord? I thought he was with me. I thought he loved me. Why would he allow these bad things to happen to me? And all of these things that were happened to Gideon and his family and the people of Israel were horrible. They were not great. And so he's responding with an attitude of, why are you letting this happen? The reason why that was happening, remember, was because of the Israelites' sin. And the thing I, first thing I want to suggest to you this morning is a lot of times in our lives, God allows, and you know this because more than likely you've been through some tough times. God allows us to go through tough times. It's not always because we've sinned, although it can be that. But God allows us to go through difficult times because of what he is going to do in us and through us in all of the circumstances. But God, a lot of times, will use difficult times in our lives. I don't know how many of you have ever had this happen. You do something that your mom and dad have told you over and over not to do, and you wind up getting hurt. How many of you have ever done that? Every one of you better raise your hand right now because you're lying. All of y'all, your parents have told you, don't do this, don't go down the stairs, you need to do this, this way, wait, let mom hold your hand, let me do it. And you go off and you do your own thing, and what happens? You get hurt. Something bad happens. But guess what? Hopefully, you learn from that experience. Now, mom's not up at the top of the stairs, or dad shoves you down the stairs and goes, see, now that's what can happen. He doesn't push you down so you can learn a lesson. But... But there are times when you're disobedient. I'm going to do it my way. Bad things can happen, but you'll learn an important lesson. So that's one of the things that we, we can see here, and we're going to see in this passage, is that though there are very difficult times, Gideon's going to learn something. Now, C.S. Lewis, I know many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He had this quote. This is a pretty cool, cool quote. He says, God whispers to us, In our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. A lot of times, if you don't know this, you will come to find this out. A lot of times, in very difficult times, God is using our pain, our difficulties, to get our attention. To get our attention. So we see that Gideon's like, where you been? What's, why has God not been with us? And in verse 14, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Again, Gideon how am I going to do this? I am the least. How can I save Israel? My family, listen, Lord, my family's not powerful and influential. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of, you know, voice in our community. You're talking to the wrong guy. And I'm the least in my family. I'm the least in my family. See, God sees, what we need to understand is, That when God calls you to do something, he knows what he's going to accomplish, and he sees more in you than what you see, and he's going to equip you to do what he's calling you to do. Some of you, he's going to call some of you, it might be one of you in this room, to be a witness in your school. For the Lord. And I don't mean standing on the cafeteria table or whatever and do it, you know, with a megaphone, but I mean in how you live your life, the friends that you make. And you might be scared to death. There might be something in your job. There might be something in your college where you go to that God's going to call you to do. To maybe to lead a Bible study, maybe to be a leader in the classroom, maybe, whatever it might be. God's going to call you to do. Something, but he's not going to leave you to do it on your own. He's going to equip you. And that's important to understand is that God doesn't leave us alone. He equips us. And he may call you to something that you're kind of like, I, you have no. I mean, when I was in middle school, I was very shy. I played sports, but I was very shy. I would not, I'd take a zero. Some of you, I've told you this, I'd take a zero. On a book report, there was no way in the world I'd get up and speak in front of 30 people in the classroom. Teacher say, "Mark, you're going to get up and do." Nope, I'm gonna have to give you zero. Okay, of course. Then I'd get wore out when I got home. But I mean, I was—I hated speaking in front of people. Most people hate speaking in front of people. If you would have told me, Mark, one day you're going to be in youth ministry and you'll talk in front of people, I would have laughed. But over the years, not immediately, but over the years, God has given me the ability, not a great ability, but at least a little bit of an ability to stand in front of people where I'm not shaking, and and even though I do get nervous every time I speak, but God doesn't leave us alone. He equips us, and he sees more about you than what you even realize, and this is the case with Gideon. Gideon's like, you have picked the wrong guy. My family's not influential, I'm not a great guy, I'm the least in my family, how am I going to do this? In verse 16 again, the Lord said, uh, Gideon says, please Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. God confirms his presence to Midian. I'm going to be with you and you're going to defeat the Midianites, a promise. He confirms his presence and he also makes a promise. If you've been in this church, particularly in the children's ministry, you know one of the quotes that has been here for a long, long time, God is a promise maker and a promise a promise keeper. But again, I don't know about you, but I know there have been times when people have made promises to me, and even though I... knew them to be, to keep their promises, I still, there are times when I've been nervous, like, are you sure about this? And I think this is what, I don't think, I know this is what was going on with Gideon. But here's the thing. So God confirms his presence and he makes a promise. But here's an interesting thing that God calls Gideon to do. The main thing, one of the things that Gideon had to do was he needed to get his spiritual life, he needed to get his life right with the Lord. He's looking at his circumstances and he's coming up with all of these excuses of why he can't do what God's calling him to do. And God's making his promise and he's telling him, I'm going to be with you. But then God calls him to do something pretty radical. Something that Gideon has to do before he's going to go into battle with the Midianites. And this is in, in chapter 6, in verse 25. says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, With stones laid in due order, then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by the day, he did it by night. So God says, here's the thing, you're going to do this, I'm calling you to do this. You're going to defeat the Midianites, but there's something that you need to do before you even get started. You need to deal with at home, in your life. Because see, Gideon's family, they were idolaters. They worshipped Baal. And the town that they were in worshipped Baal. And so God says something radical to him. He says, but this is what you need to do first. I want you to go and I want you to tear down this altar. Now imagine... This is not only what your family worships, but the townspeople worship. I want you to notice, Gideon's obedient, but he goes at night because he's scared to death to do it during the day in front of everybody. And he goes at night and he tears it down. Now, here's the point. Gideon had an issue in his own heart. He was also part of, at least in his family, part of idol worship. And God was calling him to tear down the idolatry or deal with the idolatry in his own life. And one of the things I want to suggest to you is God doesn't wait till we become perfect people to use us. But he does want us to deal with the things of our heart as he's using us and as he will use us. And all of us in this room are guilty of idolatry. Yours truly. See, for a long time in my life, sports was my idol. I loved sports, talked about sports, played sports, played football for twelve years, played baseball probably for twelve years, went to college thinking that I was have opportunity to do that. I ate, drank, and slept sports. That's all I thought about. And I had to deal with that idol in my life. And I've had, I've had different idols in my life that I've had to deal with that God has called me to deal with in my, in my and he's going to do that for you. For some of you, it's education. That's your idol. You got to get a 4.0. I've got to go to this school. I've got to get this job so I can make all this money so I can live this lifestyle. For some of you, that's your idol. Some of your your idol is sports. Some of you... Your idol is boyfriend or girlfriend. For some of you, and we could go on and on and on and on. And if we were honest, and some people think it's a joke of what I'm saying right now. And that's okay. But I know this, all of us have had idols or will have idols in our life that we need to deal with. Daily, it's a struggle. And our relationship with the Lord is not easy. And the Lord, just as he calls Gideon to deal with idolatry in his family, in his own life, God calls us to deal with our idolatry in our lives as we live our lives for him. Because you can't serve two gods. You can't serve money and you can't serve God. You can't serve sports and you can't serve God. You can't serve education and can't serve God. None of those things are wrong. Education, getting a good education. Don't walk out of here and go, well, Mark's against getting straight A's. Nope, don't use that when you go home. Mark said, I don't have to worry about 4.0. Nope, I didn't say that. I didn't say, don't worry about grades. I didn't say, don't worry about doing well in life. But it can be a struggle. And it was a struggle in Gideon's life. And God called him to tear down this altar before he went off to do what God had called him to do. So he had something to take care of. And I want you to understand God, uh, that Gideon is not a godly guy. He's not the pastor's son, you know, this perfect preacher's kid or anything like that. He's not a born leader. Oh, he's a, he's a born leader. We hear that a lot. No, that's not true. Those things are learned. Those things come with hard work. Gideon's not from an influential family. His parents aren't rich and famous. He's weak. He's scared to death. His family's into idolatry. He's a coward. He goes at night. At least he's obedient. And that that is important to see. He's obedient. But he's scared to death. To do. Now, after that happened, the next morning, the townspeople wake up and they see their altars destroyed. They are mad, mad, mad. And they go to Gideon's dad and they find out that it's Gideon who did that and they want his head. They want him to die. Gideon's dad tells him, tells the town people, well, if Baal is really a god, let Baal take care of him. Is basically how the father responds to that. But they are mad. Gideon was obedient, scared to death, but obedient. And the people are really, really hacked off at him. So in the last part, and we're almost through, hang with me. The last part of this, after that happens and after Gideon's dad deals with those who are wanting to kill Gideon, It says in verse 33 of chapter 6, it says, Now all the Midianites and the Amicalites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped at the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And the Bizarites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulon and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning he squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Just let me speak just once more, please. Let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Gideon is, he's been told by God, I'm with you. You're going to do this, almighty man of valor. You're going to to strike down the Midianites. He calls these people together to go into battle and then get in right before the battle. So, all right, God, if you're really gonna deliver them into my hand, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you, and it's interesting in the passage, the word is used God. Earlier in the passage of chapter 6, he's talking, he says, he's responding, he uses the word Lord. But here in the Hebrew, it's like almost, okay, supreme being, do some tricks for me. Make, let me make sure that you're really going to be with me. Do this with the fleece. Fits wet and the, and the ground is dry. Awesome. Oh, by the way, just one more thing. Let's do it the other way. Fits wet and everything else is dry. Cool. I'll know you're with me. I know it's going to happen. Guess what? God, this is pretty awesome about God. God is patient with Gideon. See, Gideon should have been, the Lord has told me he's with me, he's going to be with me, he's made a promise. But still, there's there's this fear, this doubt, this, and Gideon says, hey, could you show me one more time you're going to be with me? What you need to know is God is patient with you in your walk with Him. See, it'd be easy for God to go say, forget it, I'm done with you, Gideon, I've told you several times, you keep questioning, you want to sign, all of these things, forget it. You're not my man. God doesn't operate that way. God is patient. He's patient with you. In your questions, in your doubts, in your fear, in your disobedience, in all of these things, God is patient. He's long-suffering. He loves you. And again, what He's calling you to do in your life to live for Him, He's not going to abandon you. And when you screw up, when you are disobedient, God doesn't abandon you. We don't have a God like that. He's an awesome God. He's a faithful God. And the thing that you need to know is that He is so patient with us as we grow in our relationship with him. A lot of you think, man, I mean, and some of you have been in this church all your life. And there are still things that you're struggling with, and there are things that you're kind of like, am I really a Christian? Do I really love God? I know all this information up here, but is it translating into my life, how I'm living my life out? And for some of you, that's the case. But you need to know that God is patient. He loves you. He knows that you don't have it all together. And you never will have it all together until the day that you go to be with Him. There are no perfect Christians. That's important for you to understand. God doesn't use the perfect person. God uses the weak. God uses the imperfect. God takes somebody like Gideon... And we're going to see as we close that success, quote, success in life, really success in the eyes of God come through His power, His strength, not yours, but His. Check this out, the last part, and I'm skipping on down to chapter 7. It says in verse 1, then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Mori in the in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Gideon had gathered t- 32,000 people. God says, Too many. Because I know with this many people, they'll be saying, once the victory is theirs, that we did it. So God does something about that. He strips away Gideon's army. To where it's only 10,000 and the Lord said to Gideon the people are still too many take them down to the water and I will test them for you there and one of whom I say to you this one shall go with you shall go with you and one of whom I say to you this one shall not go with you shall not go so he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps you shall set by himself likewise everyone who kneels down to drink And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, check this out, hang with me, we've got two or three minutes, we're almost done. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 man, men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now here's the thing, in closing, 32,000 people, it's easy to go into battle, have confidence. 22,000 people get taken out of your army by the Lord, we've still got 10,000 Strips it down, the Lord strips the army down to 300. Guess what? They're going up against 135,000 people. 300 versus 135,000. Not good odds. Basically, for every Israelite, it's 435 Midianites. And Gideon takes them into battle and they defeat the Midianites. See, success would say, or the attitude of we've got to be successful, we've got to accomplish it this way, 32,000 will get the job done. But in God's ways, what God wants you to understand and wants, us, wants me to understand is God's ways are not my ways and my ways are not his ways. He accomplishes incredible things despite what the world says and how things look in our circumstances because that's who he is. He's a God who wants and deserves the honor and glory. And I can tell you this, in your life, that when God calls you to do something, whether it's lead somebody to Christ, whether it's start a Bible study, whether it's whatever, you, and it's for his honor and glory, he's going to do it in ways that you would never imagine. Never imagine. And a lot of times he's going to take those of you in this room that you don't have an attitude of, look at me, look how great I am, I'm awesome, I'm the best at this, and I'm going to be the man that God or the woman that God uses because of who I am. I'm telling you, history is full of God taking people that nobody knows about, the littlest the, the person that everybody would say he's the idiot in the class or whatever, taking those people have, who have the least abilities and uses them. And God also takes those who have a lot of abilities and he strips them away from, him, from them so that they understand anything that I accomplish for the Lord is because of the, uh, the Lord's might, his strength. The key verse in this passage, there are a lot of key verses in this passage, and this is what I'm going to close with, is in verse 34, where it says that the Lord clothed Gideon. In verse 34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abyssinites were called out to follow him. That's the key, guys. The key is this. The Lord clothed Gideon. That word means he took over. He empowered, strengthened. He took a man who was weak, he became a leader. He took a man who was a coward, made him into a leader. Took a man who was part of idolatry, changed his life. But it's because the Lord... Not because of Gideon, but because of the Lord. And so the thing that I want to challenge you with as we close is this. Gideon wasn't a perfect man. Far from it. He was the least. All of you in this room are not perfect. You never will be. You don't have it all together. You never will. And many of you in this room may feel like, well, God can't use me because of this. I don't speak well, I don't know a lot, nobody likes me, well, fill in the blanks. A lot of times that's who God uses, not to go change the world necessarily, but does it work in your life and does it work in other people's lives. And I'm gonna close with this and, I, and again, I'm not going to, uh, I don't mean to embarrass, I'm, I'm impressed with this And I've shared it several times. And I will share it because it's encouraging to me. And I hope it's encouraging to you. You know, we had Awaken a couple of weeks ago. And I want to tell you guys, for every one of you who invited somebody, thank you. Thank you for doing that, willing to get out of your comfort zone and ask somebody to come with you. Maybe the people that you asked didn't come, and that's okay. But you were willing to do that. You cared enough to say, hey, come to this. Some of you brought people, maybe one, maybe several. I want to thank you for that. That was a great encouragement to us, hopefully an encouragement to you. But I want to say this. If you invited somebody and they said no, keep praying, keep asking, keep being bold, share your faith, to tell others about the Lord. We had um, Anna Newton who brought a couple of ladies, young ladies with her, that gave their lives to the Lord. And the thing that you need to know is that Anna had been, and again, I'm not meaning to embarrass her, but um, And and the reason why I'm telling you this is because Anna is going into the 7th grade. She's not a senior in high school. Anna is not up here singing. Anna's not speaking in front of you. Um, Anna came to know the Lord back in January February. Anna's not perfect. But Anna wants people to know Christ. And she had told a friend of hers about Christ and really wanted this girl to come to know Christ. And this little girl, you know, has kind of told Anna, hey, you know, need to back up a little bit if we're going to be friends. And it would be easy, it would be easy for me as an adult, as a man, for somebody that was a friend of mine that I cared about or a family member that I cared about to be telling them about Jesus, for them to say, I don't want to hear any more about that, Mark. Leave me alone. And for me to be discouraged and, and crushed maybe and to feel like, well, I'm not gonna tell anybody else because, but Anna hasn't allowed that to keep her from doing that. I'm sure it's hurt her a little bit but she's been willing and still being bold to tell people and invite them to come to things. I don't tell you about Anna because how great Anna is, and she's a wonderful young lady, but it's because of what God has done in her life is why she's wanting to tell people about Jesus. My question to you is, what is the Lord doing in your life? Do you know him? And are you willing to tell people about what he means to you? This isn't a guilt trip please don't walk out of here feeling guilty if you're kind of like, no, that's not me. I want to encourage you by saying you don't have to be great. You don't have to be well-known. You don't have to be anything. God will enable you. He'll equip you to tell people about Jesus, to love them, to bring them to church. He'll give you the courage. But it'll all be because of him, what he'll do in your life, not because of how great you are. And so I just want to end with that and say, be encouraged to know that God takes not the perfect, but the weak. Those that love Him, those that want to serve Him, and can do, God can do some incredible things, more than what you can even imagine. And I know that God will, in this room, use many of you for His honor and glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day and for your many blessings. Lord, as we've looked at Gideon's life this morning, I hope that we'll come away knowing that this man was not a perfect man. He was weak. Full of insecurities and full of so many other things. But Lord, that's not what you're looking at to be able to use us. When you call us, you equip us, you love us, you strengthen us, you clothe us with yourself as we know you and as we walk in our relationship with you. And over time, you use us for your honor and glory, and we are so honored to know that not only that we can have a relationship with you because of what Christ has done, but that we can live our lives for your honor and glory and be ambassadors for you. And Lord, I pray that you will take each one of these young men and young women that they would not only know you as their savior, but their heart's desire would to be honor and glorify you, and that you would use them as your children to bring you great glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.